We are back for another episode of In The Know, On The Go, and it's time to get another real estate update. Last well, last quarter, we had Enda Foley sharing a little bit more about LAWD. Cole, we've got you back to talk all things rural real estate and markets. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, Ollie. Good to be with you again. Last time we spoke, God, it feels a while ago, October, there was still like a fair few transactions happening. The family farms were really pushing the market forward, but if we look over the six months since October, what's been happening in the rural real estate market? Yeah, I think things have started to return back to what we would call more normal settings in regard to inquiry. Um, the euphoria that was in the market um, has certainly receded. I, I think that, you know, it's probably nothing to get too concerned about. Um, obviously, instead of having, you know, seven, eight, nine or ten parties running all over each other trying to get to... Uh, get to each property, uh, we're back to more normal levels of inquiry where you might have, um, you know, two to four uh, good, solid, uh, uh, qualified parties who are interested in um, in each property. So that's probably, over my career, Ollie, that's probably in more normal settings in regard to levels of inquiry. So I guess uh, a few less phone calls, but still probably just as many. In terms of the people who are turning up to these, to the sales, when we last spoke, it was family farms going absolute ham at it. Are we seeing the corporates really coming back in, I guess, and competing now on these sales? Yeah, look, it obviously depends on the asset size. Um, you know, the larger scale assets are certainly getting chased by uh, the corporates. They never had it to themselves because the larger, um, probably more established family farming businesses were, were certainly competing hard on those assets as well. Um I think that in, in that bigger end, um, that is still happening. There is still really solid family farming businesses who are actively involved in the, in the market and looking for expansion opportunities. But probably what we are seeing is that the institutions, um, especially if the capital is from overseas, um, they have the added advantage of the dollar um, at the moment. So we've got this wonderful thing in Australia, the floating currency, which means that when we get um, a little bit of a hiccup in our economy, uh, the, the generally our dollar falls, and obviously that um, makes um, buying land in Australia um, more attractive for overseas capital. And so we're certainly seeing that and probably just a small retraction in regard to um, uh, the high-end um, um, local farming family businesses um, competing in that market. When you come down to, you know, say a... Um, I always used to say, you know, sub-5 million, but <laughs> it's probably sub-15 million now when you go to where the land values have gone, Ollie. Um you know, certainly um, it, the institution is not necessarily competing um, on those assets unless they're a bolt-on to maybe then an existing holding. Um, and certainly, um, you know, those farmer-to-farmer sales, probably the way we should word it, um, that's where I think the market's going to probably, um, uh, you know, begin to to struggle and maybe even the secondary-type properties might start to fall through the gaps and uh, may, not find a, may not find a buyer. And those institutional investors, like... I have a very limited understanding. That's why I asked the experts about it. But I guess over the last, say, 10 or 20 years, there was a, re a real push into that permanent plantings. Are we seeing a shift in terms of the type of assets and properties that they're trying to get their hands on? Uh, we are. Um, carbon's having a bit to do with that. Um, certainly there's some um, large plays being made across uh, northern Australia in that terrestrial carbon space. Um, obviously, the source of Sequestration um, is also becoming a, uh, a hot topic, and this party is certainly investigating that. Um, that whole space, I think, 
is going to become more and more um, important. Um, you know, Tanya Plevisek has introduced um, legislation into the parliament this week in regard to, um, um, you know, environmental stewardship and, and landholders being rewarded for, for stewarding the land in regard to environmental assets and uh, um, natural capital. So, you know, this whole space is fast evolving um, and um, I certainly think it's becoming more and more important, especially as some of these institutions and also maybe in, it might bring investor money, uh, particularly just looking for ESG, would say uh, credits, if you want way to put it, or, you know, then being able to say that they are actively involved in those markets and, and um, as they're, you know, a lot of the cases what's happening is their shareholders are demanding that they uh, take a position in this space. And I'm thinking out loud here, it's going to be interesting on to see if the, like the investment cycle shifts, because otherwise you could see, say, an institution coming in for that first 10 years and I guess making huge progress, but then actually exiting that. But a lot of these carbon deals are, are over 20, 25 years. And so that would be interesting to see if we fast forward a decade or so down the track, like what's actually happening at that transaction point, like is that playing into it? Or it... Well, it, it it does all in a way. So, for example, it, it probably carbon and environmental offsets are they need to be treated a little differently because if you do the environmental offset, then largely um, there's a there's a large payment upfront um, with little ongoing payment. Then you've got the responsibility to manage the land in that way. So. If you're the owner of that land and you take that payment up front and then you then decide you want to sell the asset afterwards, then you're leaving the legacy um, cost to the incoming owner, which will be reflected in price. Mm -hmm. So people need to be really careful about how they um, think about this and how it's going to work with regard to the asset. And obviously that will have a large impact on what their hold strategy is in regard to timeline. Um, with regard to carbon, that is more ongoing because um, you have the potential to be rewarded as you go um, by changing your management practice to either, you know, sequest uh, carbon in the soil or, um, or you know, work with terrestrial carbon and growing trees. So um, that has a uh, ongoing um, income stream if it's um, done well, um, according to all the experts. So therefore, um, that probably has a, um, you know, more ongoing um, responsibility. But of course putting the real estate agent's hat on here for the, for the moment, um, I'm always wary of covenants on title and what impact that may well have um, on future value. And I just think landowners just to me, you know, eyes wide open when they go into these arrangements. Yeah, it's an interesting space. Let's, one more question just on carbon. I think, interestingly, Danny recently commented that off the back of this carbon space, it's absolutely running hot. And you said in Northern Australia, Danny was saying he, he's expecting to see hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars transacted. So like whereabouts, like what countries are investing throughout kind of Northern Australia, especially around this carbon space? It's North America and Europe. Again, it, the source of capital is not really any different. Um, it's not coming out of Asia, uh, which is funny enough. I, I, you know, it just seems that then North America and Europe seem to be the, where the capital is coming from for these sort of projects. Yeah, right. Interesting. And, and existing landholders are now investigating their opportunities too. Um, so, you know, there's some of these large, larger pastoral companies, um, they're obviously internally um, you know, running the ruler over what this means for them because uh, they've already they already hold a stake in that in that part of the world. 
So I'm, I'm guessing you guys are about to head over to the Global Ag Investing Conference in New York. So a big source of, of where the capital is coming from. Like, is this something, is this a regular conference? Is it a new thing? And, and what are you guys expecting to come out of it? Now, look, there's a number of these held around the world um, annually. Um, there's one in Japan, one in Europe, North America, and obviously there's one held here in Australia and Melbourne um, generally, annually. Um, look, New York's the, the biggest one. It's where most of the major players will assemble for three days. Um, it's a great opportunity to sort of get an understanding of what's happening in um, in you know, global markets in land and agricultural investment. We're not immune to that. We're a player. Australia is a you know just a noted secure place to um, come and, and uh, invest capital. And uh, we've got you know very low sovereign risk. Um, we once had a you know an investment fund um, sprouting the you know, the great attributes of um, farming in the Ukraine. Um, the agricultural um, capacity of the Ukraine is um, you know, not doubted. Probably some of the most you know, wonderful cropping soils and climate you'd like to find across the planet. Um, they're going to have to run a minesweeper over that land now to, um, uh, to you know, to reinvigorate agriculture. It's going to be a big issue for that area. And of course, that investor in that area, my understanding is they've significantly written down their asset value um, in regard to that investment. Now, thankfully in Australia, we don't have the same issues. But um, but certainly, so Australia is, is widely recognised as a safe place to invest. We have, you know, solid tenure to land and water assets and also, um, you know, um, good returns and good um, um, good infrastructure and, and in regard to market access and things like that. So, um, you know, people like Australia and uh, um, we think that will continue. And so do you think there will be a bit more of a, a spotlight, I guess, flying the Australian flag over there to, I guess, pump them up a little bit about the opportunities here? Oh, I think so. Look, and, and the reason why we go, it, it's is really just to stay in touch with the, these, in, you know, we we feel that we are, you know, very closely aligned to in, incoming capital. If, if, if in, capital is coming to Australia to invest in Australian ag, then um, we'd be very surprised if we don't know about it because, you know, they make contact with us. So this process of going over there, it, it's not, I know a lot of um, Australians get, really a bit uptight about foreign ownership of, of agricultural land. Um, and no doubt they can be com- competitors to, um, you know, um, domestic farming businesses looking for expansion as well. But if you look at the history of the whole thing, um, they can't take the land with them. And most of the time when they exit, which they do, they all cycle and exit, come in and exit at times, most of the assets that they um, then they sell are better assets for the sake that they have invested in them. So, um, you know, Australian agriculture, I think, was looking at uh, 100 billion as the um, target for um, output of Australian agriculture, which is a phenomenal number, and we're getting very, very close there. It has to come from investment and growth, and um, foreign capital isn't been an important part of Australian agriculture's growth ever since we, you know, um, ever since we arrived here. And I think it, like on that point, it's really interesting. And I know last year I'm trying to think of what the property was out of South Australia that had gone from, I think it was South Australia, that had gone from the corporate ownership, but then it was, was it 15 odd different family farms that picked yeah, up on? Coronella Group. So it got de-aggregated and, and that was a part of the cycle. And I think this is a natural part of the cycle where you start to see de-aggregation um, sometimes um, with the family farming businesses, you know, out competing the institutions. Um, and we probably are starting to roll into a cycle where we might just start to see a little bit more of aggregating happening again. Um, you know, these are 
these are markets within markets really that are going on. It depends on uh, location and the ability to attract scale. So aggregating farms into a big asset is not an easy thing to do. Um, and um, it does take time and patience. So um, yeah, those who, who do it, do it well. And um, but yeah, they might they might start to see opportunities um, in the near future. I think. Watch this space. I've got two questions to follow up on. Well, let's let's follow on that. What are you guys expecting out of two thousand and twenty three? Looking at the year ahead. Oh, well, our pipeline is as full as I've ever seen it at for this stage of the year. Um, you know, I was just doing a quick add up here this morning, and and by by no means exhaustive. And we've probably got over three hundred million dollars worth of that um, agriculture probably to hit the market in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, ranging from um, you know Turlings and Dundonoon up at Moree, which is you know thirty two hundred odd hectares that'll probably make mid thirties. Um, we've got Gilgal at Cootamundra, which is a uh, a quality asset there, which would probably make in the in the high fifties in the million range. Um, Piggy Station's about to go to market again, which we. Uh, Attempted to sell a couple of years ago. It's over ten thousand hectares of prime cropping land there at Dysart in um, Queensland, and and you know it'll it'll make around fifty million. And of course we've got Gemalong in the market at the moment um, with expectations around eighty five million. Um, with it's a sort of thirteen and a half thousand hectares there in the Lachlan Valley. So there's some really quality assets um, hitting the market. Um, and um, you know, look, inquiry is still there. We, you know, we're still very confident that those those deals will transact uh, in a reasonable time frame. Nothing like keeping you on your toes, Cole. <laughs> no, no, it keeps you out of the pub, Ollie. Yeah, I bet keeps you on the road pretty well. And the, and the final question, I think, which is really interesting. So, you, recently, you guys have have brought a, and you specifically have brought some of these properties to market which for the first time i think it was was emu park the first time in 150 odd years like what's it like bringing generational properties to market like that yeah that's an emu creek at walker actually um yeah look that property's been owned um by the gill family slash berry family for 155 years um so that's a really um uh, courageous decision to to sell an asset like that, um, and the reasons for it is family succession and a very considered family succession um, process that that family went through, which I think is um, you know great to, great to see. Um, I've actually sold two other properties um, around Gunning, one at Gunning, a property called Merrill, and another property at Yas called uh, Downhill that had never had another family's name on the title, so they'd owned it since settlement. Um, and so when you get the opportunity to sell those sort of assets, it's quite a, um, you know, it's quite an honour um, to be selected to be able to take an asset like that to market. And um, and as you can consider with those families, it'd be, uh, they're quite, um, uh, they can be quite torn about the decision. Um, and also, um, you know, it can be a bit emotional about it, which is fair enough, as you should be. Mm. So, um, you know, it is, it's really nice to work for those, with those families to um, divest those assets because of the, you know, strategic importance of them. Well, Cole, thank you very much. We won't take too much of your time because I know you've got to hit the road and you've got a, a couple of properties to bring to market before you head over to the US. But I think what we might do is try and loop back in with you off the back end of that Global Ag Investing Conference and find out what was said. Yeah, no, that'd be good, Ollie. It'd be good to let everyone know what uh, what we found out and uh, who we spoke to and um, yeah, look forward to that opportunity. Beauty.